0: Hello and welcome to the Church 860 podcast. My name is Pastor Chris and I'm the lead pastor of Church 860 located in Westerville, Ohio. Our podcast will have daily episodes uploaded where we have curated some of the best Bible teaching from across the globe. We hope you enjoy today's episode. Heavenly Father, we do thank you, we do praise you for being an awesome God, that you touch us, love us, work with us, Father, when we sometimes are the most pathetic. Father, we thank you for your grace, we thank you for your mercy and your forgiveness, and I pray, Father, that right here, right now, we could just kind of lay things aside, focus upon you, that your Holy Spirit would speak to our hearts, and that we, Father, could draw a closer relationship with you. Father, we want to bind the enemy and all the cares of this world that would distract us, Father, and just have this to be a sanctuary, a place for us to sit and to listen at your feet and that your Holy Spirit would speak to us as only you can. We thank you, Father. We praise you. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. Amen. We've uh, been going through a, a radical series, if you would, and I've made the case that What we're dealing with here is the heart, the very heart of what Jesus wants us to know and understand. Really, from chapter 8 to chapter 19 is the core message that Jesus wants to get across. I am continuously amazed at how many people really just don't understand Jesus. There's a lot of people that hate Christians. There's a lot of people that hate the church and probably for good cause. I I have this crazy notion that a lot of people are just genuinely ignorant, not in a derogatory sense, but just lacking any idea of what Jesus wants to get across. And Jesus labors. I mean, he is working the crowd, if you would, by demonstrating, speaking, healing, teaching, shock value, you name it. He is trying to get a, a message across to the people. And he's saying, this is what I'm looking for. I believe he spoke a very simple parable, the parable of the sower. That becomes the heart of what Jesus wants to get across. That parable of the sower, to sow seed means you're throwing seed and you're scattering it to plant it, if you would. And then you would reap a harvest. So the sower goes out and he, it's like he's Johnny Appleseed. He reaches into his bag and he throws a you know, seed every which way. And that seed, sometimes it goes on uh, uh, the the roadway, the pathway, and the birds of the air. Satan comes out and grabs hold of that and snatches it up before anybody can even understand it. And sometimes people, they listen to the gospel and it does. It goes right over their head. And other times there's the seed that goes into the shallow ground where people hear the word of God. Oh, I need Jesus. They receive it with joy and they sprout up. But because they have no root, no education, no background in understanding what Christianity is, they die out quickly. They're here today, gone tomorrow in Christ. And then there's another group of people. As the seed goes out, it falls upon the weeds, if you would. And that seed sometimes is Christ, as it's planted in people's lives, the cares of this world, the riches, materialism creeps up around them and chokes them out so that they fail to bear forth fruit. And then till finally there's a seed that's planted which just seems to take hold. And they seem to be the true disciple. And Jesus has been explaining what a true disciple is. And we said that a true disciple is somebody that's thinking, alert, that, that, that's asking questions. Christianity is not for the dumb and for the lame and, huh, what, I do what I'm told? It's for somebody that's inquisitive and asking, and you see the disciples asking and thinking, and Jesus is using thought-provoking ideas. To be a true disciple is to be somebody that's alive and bearing forth fruit. And we said absolutely critically in a a nutshell that it's just to have the heart of God. And God's heart above and beyond all other things was to care about other people. That's all. We saw Israel. Israel had lost the heart of God, the Jews, the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day. They didn't care about the guy that was sick. They didn't care about the leper. They didn't care about the the lady that was bent over for 18 years bound by Satan. And Jesus comes up and heals her, and all they want to do is start a fight over it. And Jesus is saying, look how Israel, the Jews, have lost the heart. They should have so much. They were the chosen, destined people to be successful, and yet you can't find a bigger failure because they just don't have that heart of God. And Jesus wants to say, slam on the brakes, open up your eyes, understand if you want to call yourself a child of God, then act like God and care about people. And so Jesus now, as he's been teaching and teaching and demonstrating and, 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 and healing and loving and feeding the multitudes and wonderful things are happening, so many people just are clueless about what Jesus actually said and, and taught. And I beg that we, we stay close attention and say, listen to what the Bible says, not what all the churches say. Listen to what the Bible says. And so Jesus is bringing us into a scenario that seems rather familiar, and he's wrapping up several thoughts here in chapter 19. But we go into verse 1, and we see Jesus on the scene. He entered, and he passed through Jericho. And for those of us that were here last week, we talked about Jericho. And Jericho was the city in the Old Testament where the Jews had to go and and conquer Jericho. And conquer Jericho. (laughs) Jericho. That's good, Tim. That's good. And the walls came a-tumbling down. And we saw how they marched around the city. They cried out to God, and God destroyed the city in front of them. A supernatural miracle of the Holy Spirit... And you could see the power of the Spirit that is able to wage war, to be effective, that we would trust in the Spirit, and that it was a place where our eyes could be opened, where we could sit down and say, Lord, we're blind to your truths. Open, remove the walls around us. And as Jesus is there in Jericho, he's then, he's passing through Jericho, and you can see the scene. The the crowds were gathering around him. Verse 2, it says, Now behold, there was a a man named Zacchaeus and this man Zacchaeus a, a Jewish man who was it says a chief tax collector and oh yeah by the way he was rich and so we're seeing this guy Zacchaeus and I I would beg you as a congregation, if you know the little children's songs about Zacchaeus, and it seems like it's almost a little kiddie concept, you throw all that out of your mind, and I I would just beg you to to take a fresh look at, at this guy, if you would. Because you're seeing that he was somebody that was definitely despised. A tax collector, and we talked about it last week, that nobody likes a tax collector. It's somebody that imposes a burden, something that taxes you to, to slow you down, to, to drag you down. That's what a tax is. And it's almost like someone trying to run a marathon, and they have, you know, a couple bricks in their backpack. It's taxing to you. It's dragging you down. And if you could be free from that burden, man, you could really run. And here, if you would, is a Jew, and if you thought about this, a Jew that's a tax collector against other Jews. That's, uh, that, that's somebody that was paying and giving their taxes to Rome. What a, what a backstabber of a friend. You, that's my brother, is taking my money to go give it to the heathen Romans, if you would. And you could see how he would be despised. And not only that, he wasn't just the tax collector. He's the chief tax collector and then they gotta throw in that line and say oh yeah he was rich well I guess that's as they say we make money the old-fashioned way right we steal it from other people and if you're a tax collector and you're rich that's basically what it's giving you the idea was that this guy was a thief he would turn around and if Caesar said you gotta pay a five percent sales tax he would collect a 15% sales tax, give Caesar his 5%, and what is he doing? He's pocketing the other 10. That's how you make money. That was the notorious trade of a tax collector. They had to generate their own revenue. They had the power of Rome behind them. You couldn't argue with them too much and because they had the power to seize your assets. They could cause a lot of problems. And if this guy says, hey, I don't like you, there was no court you could go fight in. You'd just say, okay, Rome says I owe X amount of dollars, or they seize my assets. So here you go. Here he is, he's a rich man, a tax collector, despised by all. I think that would be fair to say. And you're going to find out that he's going to come to a place of repentance, and some of these things make sense as we go on through the story. But verse 3, you kind of have to like his heart. And he sought to see who Jesus was. You can actually understand that Jesus was a popular guy. The word, the gossip, the grapevine was ripping through the streets. And here Jesus is in town and people are saying, I'd just like to get my eyeballs on this guy. I'd like to see what this guy is about. I've heard so many stories. And he wanted you just to see who this Jesus was. And as we know the story, it says, but he could not because of the crowd, large hordes of people trying to get a touch on Jesus. And not only that, it says, for he was of short stature. So I guess that means he suffered from what we call that Napoleon complex. He was the short guy. He was always, you know, hey, I can't see, I can't see, I can't see. He's trying to fight to get through the crowds. So he comes up with his idea. So he ran ahead and he climbed up in a sycamore tree, a good solid tree, to see him for he was going to pass that way. And as the story unfolds, it says, when Jesus came to the place, so now he's marching through town, and there it is, here's Jesus. He's looking up to a short man up in a tree, and he saw him. So what a strange scenario to see here what everyone would know to be some rich guy caught up in a tree. So I don't know how you could equate this to Columbus, but if you could picture Les Wexner everybody knows he's the guy that owns the limited and filthy rich and what a scene it would be to see Les Wexner up in a tree <laughs> you'd kind of say hey what's Les Wexner doing up there educated fine man you don't need to be hanging up there like a little kid playing in the tree and Jesus is up looking at him and he's going Zacchaeus what are you doing up there he looks up and he sees him. And I wonder what Zacchaeus was thinking, like, uh-oh, you know, uh, 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 well, uh, uh, uh. And he said to him, Zacchaeus, hey, you make haste, you come on down here. And you can just say, uh-oh, I'm going to get laughed at, mocked at, and scorned. But he says, no, he says, for today, and I love this, he goes, I must, I must stay at your house. And you could just hear him go, oh, whoo. Oh, you, you got all your entourage and you're having the party at my place? Wow. Gee, thanks, Jesus. And so I like this. It says, so he made haste. He scurries down the tree and he comes down. And it says that he received him, Jesus, joyfully. So he's like, wow, Jesus this is awesome. Come on over to my place. Party's on. I'll give you lunch. We'll serve you up a meal. And, and this is, uh, you care about me? I, everyone hates me. And you care? Eh, but the downward side of this is the they. But when they, and we all know who the they are, but when they saw it, they all complained. All well, the people, the multitudes. I wonder if everyone was saying, oh, I want Jesus to spend time with me. I want Jesus to spend time with me. Oh, who wins the lottery for where Jesus could come on over and just have lunch? Because he's a popular guy. People are fighting to get in there. And everyone's going, you're going to Zacchaeus' house? That weasel, two-bit, good for, hey, Jesus, why would you want to hang out with him, man? He's He's the guy stealing from us and paying everything. We hate Zacchaeus, and that they are livid. When they saw it, they all complained, saying, "Oh, he's gone to be with, to be a guest with a man who's a sinner. Oh, how you could see their brains frying! How could you care and love and want to even eat with such trash?" But Zacchaeus, it, it touched his buttons. It, it, it pressed his buttons. He was touched. And he, I think he was saying, God, nobody cares about me. Everybody hates me. But yet you seem to put attention into my life. And Zacchaeus, as he's having his get-together, he's having his lunch. And it's interesting, Zacchaeus stood, stands up in the crowd and says, I've got to make an announcement. And he said to the Lord, interesting, he says, look, Lord. So, can you see him having a party? Everyone's, oh, I can't believe Zacchaeus, and here's Jesus, and everything's going on, and here's the crowd. And Jesus stands up and he says, everyone, look at me for a second. And I, he's making a, a bold statement. He wants the the attention of the people. And he's going to make a very bold statement. He says, Lord, I give half of my goods to the poor. What? Wow, half? How about that? Gee, what? Pastor Dave wants to talk about tithing. That's only a 10% thing that, you know, we as Christians might want to do is to give 10. We don't hear too many sermons on the 50% gift to the Lord, do we? (laughs) And yes, if you'd like to be a true disciple, you need to give 50% to the church. (laughs) That's all. I don't ask much. I still give you your half and I get half. You know, you'd be up and walking out the door screaming out there like the guy's a heretic. And here this guy's turning around he's saying, I'm giving half, Lord, everything I've, half of everything I've got. I give half to my goods to the poor. And then he turns around and he throws gasoline on it and he says, and if I've taken anything from anyone, and listen to this, by false accusation, I'm going to restore, I'm going to pay back fourfold. Can you imagine that? That, that goes above and beyond the call of duty, I think. If you stole something, you'd have to pay it back. Hey, throw in a 5% gift on top of it for paying something back. And this guy says no fourfold. And please notice it says by false accusation. So you're seeing how he made his money as he would go up and say, you owe Rome here a few more thousand bucks and he'd skim off the top and what he's saying he's saying I'm going to pay back I'm going to I'm going to repay and make up for the damage that I have done you can see him he's coming to the point in his life which we call repentance Lord I've been swindling lying and cheating and playing a game and everybody hates me and you know what it's catching up to me and it's time for me to own up to this and pay back now, you do the math on this. The guy just gave away half. And then he says by any false accusation, he's going to pay back fourfold. You could see quite clearly that in a matter of time, this is going to leave the guy broke. He's saying it in public in front of all the masses, and he's saying it in front of the people that despise him as well. And he's saying, I've got to make up for the damage that I've done. And I like that principle because you and I as believers, when we come to Christ and God works in our life, there has to come a concept for me to finally sit down and say, I've done a lot of damage as a sinner. And I, I I need to make that right. I've lied, cheated, and stealed and taken advantage of people, and, and if I owe anything back to God and God cares about me, Lord, what can I do to restore the mess that I've created? The old Boy Scout analogy and I live by it, is that you always wanna leave your campgrounds cleaner than when you found it. That was just the way I was raised as a Boy Scout. You go there, and at the end of your camping trip, you put everything, and then they'd line us all up, <clears throat> and you'd take, you know, hand by hand, and you'd sweep through the whole campground. And it says, we don't care if we put that, you know, trash there, we're gonna pick it up. And I like that principle. I don't know, I carry that with me in life. I would like to leave this planet a a better place than when I found it. If it just means I've picked up a few more pieces of trash along the way, I don't want to be a contributor to the problem. I'd like to be part of the solution. And I think Zacchaeus is having that concept where he's turning around and he's saying, I need to get right, I'm going to, Lord, I, I want to do this. And that's true repentance. And I love this. And he says, and Jesus said to him, man, that touches my heart. He says, today, you may have had desires towards Jesus, you may have understood something, but actually coming to that point of repentance in your life, he says, today, salvation has come to this house. And I like that, salvation, you're delivered. This is the day that you change over from being a wannabe to reality when you want to start to go into repentance to pay back. He says to him, today, salvation has come to this house because... He also, and this is a dig, he says, he also is a son of Abraham. And so you're seeing that as a son of Abraham, and we talked about how the Jews were the descendants of Abraham. Abraham was the, you know, the pillar, the cornerstone, the guy that all the Jews would look up to and say, everything's based on this guy, Abraham. And Jesus is saying in so many words, it's not just that he's a blood relative of Abraham. But now Zacchaeus is starting to act like a descendant of Abraham because he's like Abraham. Because Abraham, how's this for a word, was generous and so are you. And I do find that that's kind of weird you see that picture of a generous Jew. That sometimes doesn't always washing our minds. And Jesus is saying that's the picture that we should see of a true believer in God is somebody that's free from materialism, free from the things and walking in true repentance and wants to restore relationships and doesn't need to be greedy anymore. He needs to be generous, free from his things and says, if I've done anything, I want to pay back. And that's what Jesus is really talking about. A true descendant of God, a true seed, a true one that's planted is going to be someone that's going to open up and be free and be loose and say, Lord, it's all yours. Take it all my life is completely yours I want to undo the damage that I've done and Jesus says good good Zacchaeus this is awesome I love you I see you and I'm proud of you for doing what's there so Jesus then backs us up with another parable if you would and it's a humdinger of a parable but he goes into verse 11 it says now as they that old they again As they heard these things, it's interesting the crowd, the masses that were around Jesus, he spoke another parable. And it says, because, and he's telling you why he wants to say this, because he was near Jerusalem, and because they thought, they thought the kingdom of God would appear immediately interesting point to give us a background of the parable and what's happening with Jesus's life but notice if you would they're saying and their people in the crowds are sensing there's gonna be a showdown at the OK Corral here comes Jesus and Jesus has been ripping apart them Jews that were the what the lovers of money Jesus has been offensive he's been in their face he's been right He's been healing, he's been loving, but you're seeing a clash between the religious leaders that hated Jesus, and here comes Jesus. And what are they saying? They're going, oh man, Jesus is walking into Dodge City, man. <laughs> it's just, and you can almost see him, they're going, something big's gonna happen. And obviously this Jesus, that's so full of power, when he's done and he whoops up on these boys, we're gonna start a whole new era. The kingdom of God's gonna be amongst us and wonderful things are happening. And I think Jesus is trying to say, well, that's true. But first we're going to die and be beaten and whipped and crucified. And then I'm going to rise from the dead. And then I'm going to come back. And I think he wants us to put that into our heart, into our mind, that we need to be able to, to, to understand the concept of Jesus coming back. And what you're seeing then is that as these things start to happen, you're going to watch where Jesus starts to speak this parable, almost listen to this, almost egging them on, almost begging for a fight too. This is an offensive parable. Verse twelve. So he said, therefore he said, here's my parable, if you would. A, a certain noble man, and so he's going to use the example of this guy who would be a ruler of some territory, a, a leader of the people. A certain nobleman went into a far country uh, to receive for himself a kingdom and to return. So understand the scenario. Here is a, here's a guy. He's got a certain amount of, of people underneath him. He has his own kingdom. He has his own servants, we're going to find out. And he's going to go off, and it doesn't say this, but it has the connotation of almost like the guy's going to go off to war, and he's going to go conquer another country, if you would. And and as he's running off to acquire, whether he's going to buy it, purchase it, acquire some type of land, he wants to go get himself another chunk of property. And then he's going to come back to what his home is. So he says that as before he goes, it says, So he called ten of his servants. 10 of the butlers, 10 of the people working in his household. And it says that he delivered to them 10 minas. I think that's one mina apiece. And then he says to them, he said, uh, and to do, uh, and he said to them, do business till I come. So he says, I'm going off. I'm going to go acquire some more piece of uh, territory, another piece of property, if you would. And in the meantime, I want you to take care of the house back home. So he gives each one of them a, a mina. And a, a, a mina, if you would, for us, uh, it was not a large chunk of change, if you would. The people would tell you that it's equivalent to about three, day, three months worth of, of, of salary. So I don't know what that works to today. I heard on the radio that uh, the average income of the man in Ohio is $55,000 a year. And so if you took uh, three months of that, a fourth of that, you know, what is that, $10,000, $12,000, $15,000 or something along there. It's not, you know, like he was giving them all five bucks, but it's not like he's giving them a million either. It's a few thousand dollars that he's putting in these people's hands. And he's telling him. he says, now do business. I want you to, to go invest the money. I want you to, to trade. I want you to, and I love the King James in this. That's the term we're familiar with. And it says, occupy until I come. So you think of an occupation. If you think of, of, of Israel occupying Lebanon today, as they say, right? Well, that's them sending in troops that's them being involved they're occupying they're 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 digging in they're entrenched they're they're rubbing shoulders they're they're rubbing elbows with each other they're involved with other people interact with them trade with them get involved do business with what's here So you see the parable, it says, but his citizens, certain people, and the guy had his own citizens, so it's not like he's just got a little happy home. There's citizens in his kingdom of this noble man. His citizens hated him. I find that interesting. And notice it says, and they sent a delegation after him saying, Hey, we will not have this man reign over us. So here he is, notice if you would, and he's going off to battle, going off to do business with some other faraway country. And a lot of the people, they gather together and says, I don't know who he gave Minas to, but you know what? I don't like this guy. And so they send off this little posse to go chasing after the guy. And as the guy is going out into the cornfields over here to go off to a faraway country, all these people, a group of people come up to him and says, we don't like you, and we don't want to yield ourselves to you, and I hope you die in battle. Thanks. And they're telling him. They they hated him, and the delegation saying, We do not want this man to reign over us. And so, almost if you would, before the guy goes off to go do business, battle, whatever it may be, what a nice thought that the guys back home hate you. But nevertheless, it says, So that when, uh, so that when, so that it was that when he returned, the guy comes home, does his business over a period of time. Having received the kingdom, he then commanded these servants to whom he had given the money to be called to him, that he might know how much every man had gained by trading. So if you would, now all of a sudden the guys that went out and said, we don't like you, you could just hear them, "Uh uh-oh, the guy's back in town. We we didn't like this guy, but obviously he gained his kingdom. Maybe he was victorious in war. Maybe he turned around and made the trade of the things that were there. And all of a sudden, the people are going, "Uh oh! Maybe we shouldn't have uh, uh, bet on the wrong horse here." And told the guy that we hated him. <laughs> that wasn't very smart. And you can almost say that they probably had this sick feeling where all of a sudden he says, "I want everyone to give an account of what's going on. I've been away from the ranch for a while. What's been happening?" and i i think that there were certain people put this together that they turned around and they said we thought the guy would have lost in battle he would never be coming back and listen to this we gambled that he wouldn't be here but now he is and the voice of a few may ruin it for us all but please understand not all of them were Uh, a part of that delegation. Some of them, the people that were given the mina, were actually faithful. So watch what happens, verse 16. Then came the first. So these guys were excited to see the master. And you can almost see their excitement. They're going, Master, your mina, the money you gave me, your mina has earned ten minas. Wow, aren't you glad? I'm so happy to see you back. I invested at the right time, at the right place, and man, I've made some money. And he said to him, Well done, good servant. Because you were faithful in a very little, have authority, and listen to this, over ten cities. So doesn't that seem a little excessive? You were given a few thousand bucks to invest. Because you did good on your investments, you're now going to be given ten cities. Ten cities have got to be worth more than a few thousand bucks. It's an excessive, great reward by being faithful to the master. And you see the same thing, he says. And the second guy came up, and he said, Master, your mina has earned five minas. I'm not quite as good as the other guy, but I've done something productive. I'm excited to see you. And you see the same response. Likewise, he said to him, you also be over five cities. So I find that powerful to see that the minas are doing the work, and great things are starting to happen and you're starting to see, if you would, where the rewards are coming out. I like the concept, and I call this as a little play on words, that you would say, you've heard the illustration of, of, of Midas, right? King Midas was the guy that whatever he touched turned to gold. And in a sense, there's a play on words here where I call it the Minas touch. You know what I mean? And, and certain people are, are, are looking at things, and it's almost like, listen to this, hear this, it's almost like that every time the mina does the work, you're going to start to see the mina start to bear forth fruit. I like that. You don't hear the guy turning around saying, hey, master, uh, 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 look what I did. I'm wonderful. I'm successful. I've done wonderful things. I knew and I read the stock market correctly because I am so smart. You're not hearing him say that. He's turning around and he's saying, your mina did the work. Look what your mina did. And I love that illustration. Because when God God comes upon us, he fills us with the Holy Spirit, it truly is what God does through us. And our lives are saying, God, look what your spirit can do. Christianity is not working to impress God. It's allowing God to work through you. That's all the secret to Christianity. You don't do anything. It's not like you need to be a good Christian, quit smoking, quit drinking, make a lot of money, give and go to church. And if you do all those things, and then God's got to be impressed with you. When God comes into your life, he touches your heart. He changes your heart. And it's like things start to move and touch and to work through you. And as those things start to happen, you can start to see you'd almost have that. Look what your mina has done. And whatever that mina does, that mina seems to have the power to do something. So verse 20. Then another came saying, Master, here is your mina. And you could see, interestingly enough, that... uh, There's 10 guys that were given minas, but only if you would, three of them are going to be mentioned. We're not really sure what happened to the other seven, but here's going to be a bad example. And he says, for I feared you. Did you hear that? I feared you because you were an austere man. Now, I, I didn't quite know what the word austere meant, so I had to go look it up. It's not something in my everyday vocabulary. Webster's would describe an austere man, as somebody who's harsh. And, and then they use the word tart. It's somebody who is sour to the taste. Severe, grave, sober, limited, rigid, rigorous. And then finally, Stern. So this guy's coming up and he says, Man, I knew you're a tough guy. I know you're an, an exacting man. You're stern, you're rigid, you're sober, you're grave, you're, you're harsh, and I was afraid of you. He says, uh, 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 And so you see, he says, This, this ability of the, the nobleman was that you would collect what you did not deposit. So you, you are expecting to make money, right, uh, even though you don't put money in. And you reap, you harvest, if you would, what you did not sow. So this guy, the, the worthless slave, he comes up and he says, Wow, you are, you're an exacting man. You, you, you're a tough guy. You're the type of guy that can squeeze, you know, blood out of a rock. You can get a nickel out of a turnip, if you would. And and I was afraid of you, and I was scared of you. And he said to him, Okay, if that's the way you think I am, verse 22. He says, out of your own mouth I will judge you. So please hear this. If this is a, a parable between um, Jesus being the nobleman, us being the servants, you can find out and see that all of a sudden, That Jesus says I'll take that title so he said to him if you would here's the noble man speaking he says out of your own mouth I will judge you if you think I'm that hard of a guy you're right you wicked servant you knew that I was an austere man collecting what I did not deposit and reaping what I did not sow and so he says well if you know that I'm tough why then did you not put my money in the bank that at my coming I might have collected it with interest You knew I was tough. Why are you that stupid? And so he said to those who stood by, Take the mina from him. Squeeze it out of his fingers. And you give it to him who has ten minas. And you can see the crowd turning around, and they're going, What? How could you be that cold and cruel? The poor guy was trying, and he was just afraid of you. They said to him, Master, he already has 10 meters. Why would you give this poor guy who's just trying to keep and hold on to something and rip it out of his fingers and give it to somebody who has excessively large amounts? For I say to you that to everyone who has will be given, and from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. Now, if that's not cruel enough, He then says, but bring here those enemies of mine. You know that faithful delegation that met me on the road? Who did not want me to reign over them. Yeah, and you slice their throats right in front of me. And you slay them right here. And I'm not going to be ashamed of it. You cut their heads off. Whoa. Jesus, talking about, you know, trying to not be confrontational, Jesus. Man, you are in their face. And if you understood what the parable is saying, you can see they're saying, there's going to be a showdown at Dodge tonight. Can hardly wait to see the fireworks as Jesus walks into town. And please just notice that at this time in the teaching of Christ, I think this is a very strong, powerful message that Jesus is really saying, hey, buddy, don't you dare think for a second I'm here to play a game with you. Don't you dare think for a second that Jesus is just nice and warm and fuzzy and everything's going to be okay. I think he's deliberately taking on the mantle. He's deliberately saying, hey, this is part of who I am. I may, I may go and be crucified, but when I come back, hello, it's judgment day. And judgment day is going to be a day of being exact, stern, rigorous, sober, harsh. Those are those are some things that we should look at. And those those are there for us within a reason. Jesus is telling these things. For 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 one thing, he's saying he cares about he cares about the small things in life. And so many times that's where we err. We think, well, it's just a small thing. Does Jesus really care if I have an extra twinkie? You know? Whoop de doo. You know, I can't see me burning in hell over having an extra Twinkie. You know what I mean? I'm tired. I'm exhausted. You know what? I got an extra quarter in my pocket. And I'm going to go buy a Twinkie. And so whoop de doo. And we, we have a tendency to think uh, uh, so many things and we say, well, it's small. What's not big? And Jesus, I think, is first off saying, I, I'm very concerned about the small things in life. I'm very concerned. I'm very concerned about you, Zacchaeus, the man who's short in stature. I see the two things kind of working together, where Zacchaeus kind of is someone who's, what, short in stature, and he's somebody that could turn around and say, you know, nobody cares about me. I'm being ignored and overlooked, and Zacchaeus is almost that type of, listen, a type of mustard seed that most people could take as very insignificant, just a wee little speck. And yet Jesus says when that's planted, it produces a huge, you know, tree in the garden that the birds of the air can come and nest in. And we have to understand what we take for granted, that attitude of taking things for granted, sometimes comes against us when saying God is very exacting, he's very real and very true. And I see that... There's there's other things in this parable, and I could go on and on and on about them, but you're seeing that it's a level playing field. Everyone gets a mina. And notice, if you would, everyone's going to be accountable for what they did with that mina. Now, there's a huge way to balance all this of, well, we think that it's not fair. I don't have the same things that somebody else has. Why does this guy have gifts and powers that I don't? And in the most part, Jesus is all going to say, that's what the the strength of the mina may be. But you have an obligation to deal with what God has given you to do. And you're going to stand accountable for it. Ooh. There's a sense of, listen to this, personal responsibility. And there is definitely in this parable a sense of individual accountability. Well, I was born an American, Lord, and us Americans are just, you know, greedy pigs. That's what we are. <laughs> that's all right for me to be greedy like everyone else. Nah, Jesus has got to look at you. And he's saying you can't, you can't just throw yourself in and say that's the way everyone else does things. Yeah, there's a sense of individual, accountable, personal responsibility. And if you would, you're seeing where Jesus is coming in. And I think as you watch this, he's accepting that mantle, that role of Jesus as someone that you're going to answer to. And you know what? That's the biggest turnoff to Christianity. Well, to God. A lot of people shriek from, shrink back, and they don't want to actually think about themselves being accountable to God. Bible tells you. That every knee shall bow, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. So guess what? You got two knees? You got a tongue in your mouth? There will come a time, whether you like it or not, believe it or not, want it or not, you're going to sit in front of God. You're going to see God on Judgment Day. You're going to see the magnificence of the mighty of who God is. Your knees will bow. Your tongue will confess and say, you're God and I'm not. I get it. And as we stand before God on Judgment Day, there's got to be that sense of accountability and a lot of us just want to ignore it, turn our backs on it, deny that it's going to happen, and yet we know in our heart that it's going to be there. There is this this concept, almost, that God's watching you. And that sometimes gives us the willies. We don't particularly want to have that concept of God's watching me whether I eat another Twinkie or not. We go, who cares? And yet God is watching us, and for a lot of people, it it causes them to feel like they're being haunted by God. That they're being hunted by God. They feel like God's after them. Have you ever met somebody that comes in and, man, I just got, you know, God's chasing me. God's hunting me down. God's coming after me. And I want to tell you that God does do that. He seeks that which was lost. We wanted to read that part. He's telling you, Zacchaeus, my job is to seek that which was lost, to seek and to save. I want to come after you. And God is a seeker. He's someone who looks for you, and he says, I see you, and I want to come after you. And the problem is, is a lot of us want to fear that and says, I don't want that. I don't want that in my life. I don't want that in my life. And what we have to do is we then start to run. We start to then start to say, Lord, I want to I get out of Dodge. I don't want to be around this, and I don't want Judgment Day to be there. And then you can see that the Lord doesn't let up on us. It's almost like He stalks us, He hunts us down, He's tracking us. Almost as if you would, as if you're, you're out there hunting a raccoon, and you got that you know, coon dog that's going to take that coon and chase him up the tree. And it's almost like, you know, the Lord becomes this guy who starts to stalk and to come after us, and we're fearful, and we know that God's an exacting God, and he's going to sit down and make demands of us, and he's going to sit down and ask me what I've been doing, and I don't want to have to deal with it because I've taken the things that God's done in my life, and I've only buried them. And I know that he's going to be an exacting man, and he's not going to be happy with me. And we look at ourselves, and we say, Lord, you're just not going to be happy. You're not going to be happy. You're not going to be happy. And it causes us to run. And as we run and we run and we run, We have to come to that place where we're just like Zacchaeus, up in a tree. We see Jesus coming after us. We're saying, Lord, I'm trying to get away. I'm trying to just look. I'm just trying to see certain things. And I just, who are you, Jesus? And Jesus comes running up to somebody, grabs hold of him, and he says, Zacchaeus. And we go, ah, not me. Leave me alone, God. And when Jesus comes up to us, he says, man, I love you. What are you running from? I have the keys to that ball and chain around your neck, and I want to I want to set you free. Jesus came to set the captives free. And the very thing that we run from in our lives, listen to this, is the very thing that can save us from our worries, problems, stresses, and fears. Uh, We're we're insignificant, God. I'm a short stature of a man. Nobody cares about me. Uh, I can be ignored. I can be looked over. And we have a tendency to listen to the delegations that hate God, that play the fool and say, he's not coming back. I'll gamble and think that when there is no judgment day and I'll never have to stand accountable. Well, I only want to tell you, Don't ever gamble on God losing and don't ever gamble that you're not going to stand accountable before God. And if you're smart, you would turn around and just say, Lord, I want you to take my life. You see that I failed. And as I admit my failure, that's the key to your success by admitting you're wrong. And I've met a lot of people that can't say I was wrong wrong and there's a concept well if i just say that people are going to laugh at me put me down and ridicule me then they're really gonna you know think the less of me and 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 if i were just to say that i you know i was wrong that, that that i'd be rejected and the very opposite is the truth. The moment we can admit that we're wrong, we're right, and we can sit down and find the forgiveness and the freedom. And when Jesus, who's stalking you and hunting you and wants you, and you can feel that conviction in your life, the best thing you can do is to surrender your life over and to say, Lord, take me. I'm yours. And at which point you take the power of the Holy Spirit that's inside of you, and then you can sit down and say, see what God has done through me? I'm not doing anything. It's what the Mina does. It's the power of the Mina. And he wants to do a mighty work in your life. Life life is not, you know, a a game. And, And unfortunately, I've seen so many Christians in our church that can take their Christianity to be a flippant game. My brother who uh, likes to ride his motorcycle and we go down to the motorcycle things down in North Carolina, we all ride around. And sometimes you get guys on motorcycles and it gets a little carried away. Guys go a little faster and they start playing around corners and who can pass who and what's the old adage? What do you, what do you call it when you have two motorcycles heading the same direction on the same road a race. (laughs) Put two men on a motorcycle and they start to crank it up. And I I remember my brother would just say, you know, it's all fun and games until someone gets hurt. And, And a lot of guys get on their motorcycles and they start cranking up the RPMs and they're ripping down the road. Well, one of them goes off the side of the road, hits a telephone pole, breaks his back and he's paralyzed. It ain't so funny anymore. And in a certain sense, life is that same concept where, you know, we have to sit down and say it's all fun and games until someone gets hurt. And we go, you know, life is all fun and games until you start to realize the seriousness of what happens with us getting our life right with God. And when you understand the seriousness of what it is to play with sin and how danger is destructive and it destroys, you have to sooner or later wake up to the concept and say this isn't a game. And Jesus wants to embed that into our hearts to say this is you got one life to live. Don't blow it off. Don't be stupid and gamble and say God's not coming back. You're going to stand before God whether you like it or not. Hopefully, it becomes where you can say, "Look what I did with what you gave me, Jesus. I'm so excited to see you. It's Judgment Day, and Jesus, I, I love you. Woo! This is what I did. I, I talked to you about you. I preached. I did everything I could to demonstrate that. I, that look at look at all the things I've done. Or are you going to turn around and say, "Woo"? Uh, 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 uh. And Jesus says, depart from me, you who practice iniquity. Go into the outer darkness of weeping and gnashing of teeth. And you go, oh, that's only for a couple days, right, Jesus? No, it's not. Well, you you mean you're really going to get, you know, the flames in the barbecue pit and pain and suffering? You can't do that. And Jesus goes, that's the way I am. Because you know why? You played a game your whole life. And if you don't want to play a game, then, you know, you got to wake up to the reality that's in front of you. And you got to sooner or later say, hey, I want to be responsible for the things that God's given me. And even if I'm a Zacchaeus and I'm stuck up in a tree and God's hunting me down, I got to turn around and say, uncle, I give, I'm yours, take half." Take half of everything I got. And the other part, I'll pay back to the people I've accused and put down and made false accusations for. And I'll trust you, Lord. And, and then Jesus says, you are truly a son of Abraham. He wants to do that work in your life. He wants to set you free. And as you may be here today feeling that, gee, the Holy Spirit's just been haunting me. It's just been, you know, he's, he's chasing me. And I don't want to catch him. I don't want him to see me. I want to hide. I want to hide. I want to hide. Stop. Come today. Change your heart, change your life. Amen? Let's uh, close in prayer real quick. Dear Heavenly Father, help these words sink deep into our hearts, into our minds. Father, I pray that uh, this wouldn't be just manipulation on our part. It would be a revelation of the truth. And that all of us here today, Father, could... Take the things that you've given us and invest them wisely so that we'd be excited for your return. Father, I thank you and I praise you and I give you all the glory, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Church 860 podcast. We hope that you've enjoyed it. If you have, we ask that you would like and subscribe to the podcast so that you can get daily updates. If you'd like to know more about Church 860, please visit church 860.com. Thank you. God bless.